and welcome to Play On, the Morgan Sports Law podcast. I'm Tom Seema, a barrister at Morgan Sports Law. This is part two of episode nine, CAS Causes for Concern. In part two, I'm again joined by William Sternheim, a partner of the firm and previously Deputy Secretary General of the Court of Arbitration of Sport, or CAS. Once again, we are joined by two special guests. First, Dr. Antoine Duval, who is a senior researcher at the ASSA Institute and is the founder and editor of both the ASSA International Sports Law blog and the Yearbook of International Sports Arbitration. We are also joined by Dr. Marjolaine Veret, who is an attorney at the Geneva Bar with a specialism in sports law. Having focused on arbitrator independence, consent and transparency in part one, we will now focus on the issues of arbitrator diversity and how the CAS may develop going forwards. So, without further ado, let's resume the discussion. Okay, so we've just talked about the the system, and if I could move on now to talk about arbitrators. And we all know that the CAS utilises a closed list of arbitrators, but perhaps what is less well-known is that the CAS anti-doping division, which is a relatively recent innovation, uses a significantly shorter list of arbitrators. And therefore, parties in such a case have a list of only 21 potential party-nominated arbitrators. Whilst in the recent uh, WADA and Roussard proceedings, the panel president was selected from a list which only contains nine names. And the question is, does that raise concerns for you? And I'll start with you, William. In my opinion, I recall that the first question I've asked Cass when I was having the interview to get in as a counsel, I was like, why this list of closed arbitrators? And after spending 10 years at Cass and obviously being from the institution and saying, yes, there is a closed list of arbitrators, which, is, which you may criticize in as of itself, but this list comprises more than 350 names of people of you know, every legal background different types of experience. So this, in my opinion, minimized the critics that you could make to this system of closed lists. Now, if you get back to a list of 21 names for the CAS ADD and a list of only nine chair, yes, in my opinion, it does raise some concern, especially as was raised in the Russian case. It is pretty much unclear, and it comes back to a question of transparency that we were discussing earlier. It is pretty much unclear on how those nine names were selected. And when the parties are asking more information, they are not always being provided the exact information that they were, they were requesting. So yes, in my opinion, those closed lists with only a very, very few names, although those 21 arbitrators are anti-doping specialists, does raise some concern when the parties need to make a choice. Antoine and Marjolaine, is there anything you would add to that? Yeah, I think there are, there are different points for the anti-doping division and for this sub-list of, of non-compliance that is, I understand, included in the anti-doping division list, at least on, on the CAS website. For the anti-doping division, William already said there is this issue of specialization, even though I think it is not required by the ADD rules that there is any further specialization of the arbitrators on the list than, than there is already for the general selection of, of CAS arbitrators, meaning that they have some proficiency in, in sports law. But there is probably this idea that 
these people are more specialized on, on doping disputes. But then the, the more important point is that normally the anti-doping division is, is designed as a sort of first instance uh, arbitration. So unless the parties both agree in, in the particular case on a three-arbitrator panel, there is going to be a sole arbitrator, and then the case can be brought before the appeal division. So in that sense, it makes the anti-doping division almost a little bit more comparable to sports tribunals of a federation, where then you have a full hearing that is possible in front of the CAS appeal division. So maybe in this context, the fact that there is a shorter list does not seem completely uh, redhibitory because obviously you would get access to the full cast list after that. Obviously, this is not this doesn't make sense in terms of efficiency of proceedings because the idea is that you have a sufficient credibility with the IDD division that parties wouldn't easily go and appeal this decision. But I say in in, in terms of arbitration law and technique. The fact that it's a sort of first instance arbitration is makes it less shocking to have a, a, a shorter list like an other sports tribunals that can be appealed before CAS. Now, the non-compliance list, maybe I will leave uh, Antoine to, to elaborate a little bit on that. It is not immediately clear to me what legitimacy exactly that list has. To, to my knowledge, it only really appears once uh, it's in the WADA International Standard for uh, Code Compliance of the signatories, and that created the status that there must be a list uh, from which the parties can they can either choose from this short list or choose from the CAS Ordinary Division list. But then the president is appointed from this short list. So I don't really understand where that list comes from. I don't really understand why it is in, t- in the anti-doping division list even though non-compliance is brought in front of the ordinary arbitration division. But it seems to me like this is a list that has been created a little bit ad hoc, and I'm not sure how it fits in into the overall frame of the, of the, of the cast, to be honest. I'm feeling better with a shorter list. Why? Because I think it feels it's, it's much more in line with the, with the raison d'etre of the cast. And here we're coming back to the post-consensual nature. We have to get arbitration out of our system. It is framed discursively as arbitration, but it's not a practice that corresponds to arbitration. It corresponds much more to a normal court. And in that regard, I feel much better having a narrower group of people that we can better identify, that we can better scrutinize, acting as arbitrator. And in a way, that's why my argument would be to have permanent judges, permanent arbitrators, and a much more narrow list. I think the key question for me is who decides who gets on the list and how? And that's where we have a big problem at the CAS. We don't really know. We don't really know who decides, and we don't really know how. We don't have justifications for people getting on the list or not getting on the list. So this is where I would put the emphasis. I'm not, I think the list makes sense. It makes sense if your starting point is that the CAS is not about consensual dispute resolution, one-off dispute resolution. It's about long-term level playing field, creating a kind of sectoral transnational justice system that would provide 
equality and certainty to the participants of a particular transnational sector, sporting competitions at the international level in particular. So if you assume that, and if you accept that you have post-consensual arbitration in this context, because it is necessary for that level playing field, then you have to start asking very tough questions about who gets to be nominated on that list and for what reasons and what type of qualities those persons need to have and what type of conflict of interest are inadmissible. And there, I think, obviously, in a way, from my perspective, the current setup, the current way things are, are done, fails or doesn't, doesn't live up. And there is where I would insist that the CAS needs to reform and needs to reform urgently if it is to match its own function or its lack of legitimacy will break it apart. Well, I'm going to move on now to ask some questions about diversity at the CAS, arbitrated diversity. And we, Morgan Sports, will have gathered data from almost 2,000 CAS awards published since the year 2000 on the CAS website. And during that period, only 5.2%, so just above 5% of the arbitrator appointments went to non-white arbitrators. And only 0.8%, so less than 1%, went to black arbitrators. Now, my question was going to be, is that very limited arbitrator diversity a problem, given that the CAS is an arbitral tribunal rather than a state court? Now, Antoine will perhaps reject the premise of that question or challenge it, but nevertheless, I will pose it. You are right in your question, maybe to say that what the CAS could do to improve arbitrator diversity, because it, it's probably rather in the hands of the first of all of the CAS institution than of the individual parties. So you're not going to require, at least it depends which parties. I'll, I'll, I'll make some exceptions, but you are not going to ask the, the athletes to have regard to a form of qu quota system before they choose the, the, the arbitrator, which is their right uh, still, at least under uh, arbitration law, the traditional arbitration law. Now, with some parties, the institutional parties, it's true that uh, if you think of, of a major federation or uh, organizations like the IOC that have a commitment to uh, good governance and inclusion policies that as part of, of these duties, you can see them as having some form of ethical uh, good governance duty to take into account that this diversity too. Now, it's still a tricky question is how you create an interest, let's say, at the cast to do so, other than, than public pressure on the institution's credibility. Because the, the problem lies also in, in something that Antoine mentioned before is how the list is constituted, because you're already drawing from a sample that is not necessarily very diverse. For what it's worth, the list is significantly more diverse than those figures I just... Yes, that is true. But I think it's also... A, a appointments are a secular matter. matter. They, they make reputations, and then they are given based on the reputation of the arbitrator. And, and if you look at the list, the reputation of the arbitrators is also tied to their reputation and network as professionals. 
So uh, high-profile uh, legal professionals, uh, the university position, having uh, had a career as a judge, within these criteria, it seems to me that you, are, you will already find an over-representation of, well, what you say is a sort of white, senior white man profile that will be overrepresented already incredible candidates on, on, on the list. So it is also a problem. I would like to remind the cast is the brainchild of a black man, of Judge Kiba Mbayo, who was judge at the International Court of Justice. And the tragic irony is that his brainchild was then populated and occupied at 99% by white judges. And I think there is obviously a fundamental problem there. And a fundamental problem, and we're coming back to the legitimacy of the CAS. If the CAS is to be an institution to provide justice and fairness and level playing field for international sports and for athletes coming from every horizon, then you have a problem when, when you have the type of numbers, the type of statistics that you're, you're putting forward. And then you have a duty to act, to try at least to make sure that this situation changes. And I'm less convinced, let's say, than others that the CAS is powerless in, in changing that. I do think that as an institution, that the CAS as an institution has a role, for example, in the selection of presidents, in the selection of single arbitrators. It can help forging reputation. It can help pushing parties towards a much more diverse set of arbitrators. So I think this will be, uh, for the years to come, a, a very important task for the CAS. It will be assessed, I think, also in terms of its legitimacy and its right to continue to provide that function, or will we need to replace it with another institution on the basis of its capacity to diversify and to represent much better the, in the cosmopolitan sociology of, of the athletes. And this includes as well, and you didn't mention it, the, the gender imbalance. I mean, gender imbalance is also a, a dramatic issue at the CAS. So, yes, maybe it's time for the CAS to retire a certain number of relatively old white male and uh, to replace them. I think they should seriously consider that. Well, on the gender imbalance, and this is a, a statistic which is, is staggering, in their collective 175 appointments since the year 2000, and I'll add the caveat that this statistic was collated at the end of, towards the end of last year, so it might, it might have changed since then, the IOC, the UCI, and UEFA had between them never appointed a female arbitrator. So there may have been female arbitrators sitting on, on panels in case they were involved in, but they've never appointed a female arbitrator, which is pretty astonishing. But in terms of practicalities, William, what could you foresee the CAS itself realistically doing? Well, Antoine suggested they could cull some names from the list, and that might do something. What do you think realistically the CAS 
might do? Do you think it's alive to this concern? I think that CAS should allow whether women or diversity when selecting solo arbitrators or panel chairs in order for them to forge a reputation which will then allow parties to nominate those arbitrators. As you mentioned, Tom, the list is, is more diverse than what the statistics are in terms of appointments afterwards or nominations. And the reason why, when we go to CAS and we need to select an arbitrator, it's very hard when you represent a client to suggest nominating someone who wouldn't have any experience or who you don't know how will react. So it's true that if CAS, let's say, assists in, in helping those, let's say, unnominated, wh- whether they are female arbitrators, black arbitrators, Asian arbitrators, more diversity in the appointments, then those arbitrators will be publicly seen as people who can deal with certain types of cases, which will assist more diverse nominations afterwards by the parties. So uh, on this one, I, I fully agree with Antoine that CAS probably has something to do. Afterwards, the names to be included on the lists, I don't think CAS would have much to do. There, is, there are a lot of arbitrators, you know, in order to be included on the list, you need to have a person applying to get onto the list. And CAS cannot force people from certain regions to be appearing on the list if those do not spontaneously apply. So when, when you look at the list and you, when you see that there are so, so few female arbitrators compared to male arbitrators, it is not only CAS fault, it is also because you have way less female lawyers or professors applying to be on the list. So probably, and, and CAS has realized this in recent years, and I know that since at least the Rio Olympics, ICAS has always wanted to ensure that there is equal representation between male and female arbitrators at the CAS ad hoc divisions during those games. So it is something that is, is in mind, but I agree with Antoine again to sum up that something more should be done by CAS. It's also the responsibility, and I think Marjolein mentioned it as well, of international sports governing bodies, of FIFA, of IOC, of UEFA, of IAAF, all those organizations that have commitments written in their statutes on top of their statutes in favor of anti-discrimination and who are barely or not nominating female arbitrators. And there are some on the list. It is possible. So here, it's a bit about, you know, uh, putting uh, your money where your mouth is. And I think as well, it's not only the CAS, it's also the parties that are going before CAS that have a responsibility to select a more diverse set of arbitrators. And they can do so. You have very qualified women, you have very qualified arbitrators from the Global South on that list that you could nominate. And there are no real excuses for not doing so, I think. Those people that are on that list, even if they don't have a lot of experience at the CAS, they have a lot of expertise in arbitration in general. And they are very, very qualified, most of them. So I think there the parties also bear a responsibility. And in particular, those that claim that they are really committed 
to not discriminating. Okay, well, I've got one final question, which we've touched on to a fair degree already, but there may be things people would still like to discuss. That is, what would you like to see change at the CAS, including the ICAS going forwards? In terms of what would I change at the CAS, I mean, besides the points that I made on transparency, I, I, I take, let's say, the, I mean, what I consider as the most important in terms of reform are those that are connected to independence. I think it's essential, both for the CAS, for its legitimacy, but as well in general for the, the health of sports governance, that ICAS be reformed and the structure of ICAS be totally disconnected from the sports governing body. And it's possible to do it. And second, that the selection of arbitrators, the process of selection of who gets on that list, be made transparent and be somehow structured in a way that it provides a certain control, both on the quality of arbitrators, but also on the fact that on the conflict of interest. And here would be my third leg of changes. And that connects with the proposal I made earlier to have a, a fixed bench of people that would do only that. That would not have a practice outside of working at the Court of Arbitration for Sports. And that would face a regime of incompatibility that would be very similar to the one that applies to international judges, to European judges, to constitutional judges, where you cannot earn a certain amount of money by doing a certain type of commercial work while you are engaged as a judge. And I think to me it seems almost obvious that, that we have to go in that direction because if not, we will never get out of those discussions of whether the caste is captured or not. It is about justice not only being done, but being seen as being done. We're really in, in the context of that, that idea. And I don't know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe that all caste arbitrators are somehow controlled by anybody. But, but I do think that it's important for the quality of the justice that is provided by the caste, that it considers and that we, the people involved in the discussion around international sports law and governance, consider reforming it fundamentally. Well, I've got two follow-up questions as to, as to practicalities, and one's for Antoine and one's for William, but I'll, I'll come back to you first of all, Antoine. And you say that you'd like to see greater transparency in terms of why someone has been selected to be an arbitrator. Because the CAS does, have some criteria which we all know about, which have to be deemed to be met to be an arbitrator to qualify for the list. So you know that everyone has presumably met those criteria who is on the list. And I wonder how much more transparent you can make that process. A super transparent process would be the nomination to the Supreme Court in the US, where you have to be grilled in front of the TV for I don't know how long before you get there. So it's difficult to, to extrapolate from one example. I mean, we, all, we, we will all have different examples. But the idea is that at least we have to have very great clarity about what the process is, what are the criteria, and we know that the criteria can then be applied 
a some measure of discretion in the application of those criteria. That is always the case in any kind of legal context, unless you are a very strict legal formalist or positivist. But I doubt that you are if you're a practitioner. You will know that there is some viability in, in, in the language and its application. So this is an inevitable in a way. But the important thing is that we know who takes a decision and that we have a clear idea of how that decision is taken. And I think this is not totally clear to me right now in the Code of Arbitration for Sport. Also, I, I think it's essential that that person who takes the, the decision be clearly in a position of independence from the sports governing body. Well, that was my next question of practicality, and that was for William. Do you think it's realistic or possible for the ICAT to sever its links with sports governing bodies? ICAS cutting links with any sports bodies. Yes, it's possible. Technically, I don't see, practically, I don't see any reasons why it wouldn't be possible. Afterwards, there will always be the question whether you want also on the ICAS, as ICAS members, people who know the system or people who are familiar with sports. But, but yeah, practically, to give an answer which is not an answer, basically, practically nothing would forbid. ICAS to only have members who have no links at all to sports bodies. Afterwards, ICAS's role is very, very limited in the decision-making process in the sense that ICAS member, there are three ICAS commissions. Uh, now, one commission to nominate, uh, to, to include arbitrators on the list. You have a, a legal aid commission and you have a challenge commission. And the, the new structure that has been implemented to in, within ICAS and, and implementing and creating those commissions was specifically to address possible issues of conflicts of interest when you had a decision-making process involving ICAS. So, again, I, I think ICAS is listening to the criticism against it and is trying to do everything in order to ensure as much independence and impartiality. Now, whether it's achieving this, this goal and whether it is communicating enough or, or being sufficiently transparent in order to satisfy the public, the public opinion that independence and impartiality are met is another question. And on this one, I would, again, tend to agree with Antoine that CAS and ICAS could do more in order to make sure that the public opinion is, is satisfied that, that it meets independence criteria. I wanted to get back to this idea of Antoine, who is not the first time that he pleads for it, obviously, of this fixed roster of limited number of judges on the cast. And I don't have anything against the idea that the, what I'm wondering is the, the hallmark, in the end, we are still, nowadays, we are still in an arbitration context, at least. We have to somehow fit it in. And the hallmark of arbitration, even more than consent in a way, at least in our culture, uh, in our civil law culture, is that you don't have a, uh, the right to the state judge, but you get to choose your own judge. So from our legal culture perspective, it is complicated to at the same time say, okay, you don't have access to the state judge, but you take the replacement judge that we give to you. It is very com complicated conceptually. 
I think publicize or in a way constitutionalize, publicize the cast than actually to build an international sports court through a treaty. I think for that to happen, and it could happen, it could happen if the CAS continues to lose legitimacy. If you have a huge scandal, let's say, and some journalist uncovers that CAS arbitrators have been bought or that they have been controlled, this could happen. This is not excluded. But I think my perspective is that we are already on that way. From the moment on, we have accepted forced arbitration, basically. And that it is absolutely coherent to leave the arbitral paradigm behind if you assume that the foundation of class arbitration is not consent. And I think that has to be our baseline assumption right now after the decision of the European Court of Human Rights. And if that is our baseline assumption, then I'm sorry, but the whole, we are stuck into the arbitral paradigm discourse doesn't make sense anymore. Because we're not. We're fundamentally not. Just a, a final really short word. I, I agree that there is a debate, there has always been, and there will probably always be a debate between arbitration or a proper international court. If you go to the international court, how, how would you structure it? Would it be a Swiss court or will it be a true international court, in which case you will have to have the recognition of every state in the world, which can be problematic. And like, like Antoine has been saying, and probably Marjolaine would agree, it could be the object of a proper podcast, which, which we could think of. But coming back to one of the suggestions from Antoine, maybe, maybe it's actually time to imagine a hybrid system between a court and arbitration, which answers the specific criticisms against sports arbitration, which is not purely consensual, but which is also a hybrid system, also in terms of procedures, where you have ordinary procedure, but you also have the appeals procedure, which is very specific to sports. So why not imagining indeed a hybrid system? And I know that some people have been saying, let's maintain it as arbitration with parties nominating an arbitrator, but let's have a fixed roster of judges who, who would chair those panels. So th th there are many, many options. And, and I guess like Antoine is saying that, that it might be that the change is happening, has been happening since 10 years. Every decision has been a step towards further changes. And it's possible that, that the next change will be to invent and create this hybrid system between, I would say, a national court or an international tribunal and arbitration to fit the specific needs of sports disputes and, and the sports stakeholders. Well, that's a nice note to finish on, William. That brings this episode to a conclusion. We hope that you have found it interesting. For more information on CAS, please go to our website, morgansl.com. If you're interested in signing up to our mailing list, or if there are any topics that you would like to see addressed in a future podcast, please email us at podcasts at morgansl.com. Finally, please connect with us on our social media platforms, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram and Facebook for articles, updates and news. The statistics quoted in this podcast as to the diversity of arbitrators at the CAS were accurate at the time of recording, based on the information then available to Morgan Sports Law. As the CAS frequently publishes decisions, those statistics are now outdated. 
However, the updated statistics are not significantly different, such that they would not affect the conclusions reached in this podcast. If you are interested in the up-to-date statistics, please see part one of our series of articles on the diversity of CAS arbitrators, which is available on our website now.